are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Hope everybody's having a great Wednesday afternoon as you're joining us on the line from 2 to 4 p.m. Lance, how's your Wednesday going, my man? It's going great, Noah. How's yours going? It's going really well. I'm enjoying I'm enjoying my Wednesday afternoon, got a good lunch, and now I'm back in the house ready to get back to work to finish out the work day strong, and I'm sure that's a lot of people out there back in the office listening to us now. Hope everybody's having a great afternoon. If you want to call into the show, 334-321-1390 is how you can call in. Once again, 334-321-1390 will put you through to On The Line. Find us on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Pound. Lance, yesterday we talked about this for just a little bit. We said that there was a scheme change back in 2012 for Auburn football. And I want to equate this to what Auburn is going through right now under Brian Harson and Derek Mason coming into the program and changing things on both sides of the football. It was disastrous in 2012. Auburn went back in time in 2012 when they brought in Scott Leffler and Brian Van Gorder on both sides of the football. And what happened? You got a three and nine football season. Auburn was not ready for the scheme change on both sides of the football. They brought back the I formation, even though the roster was built for the spread. They tried to condense a team that was built for the spread into something where it's lined it up, smash mouth, hit you in the mouth, and run the football with, once again, an I formation, lined it up under center. It just wasn't meant for it. And things went horribly wrong that season in 2012. Auburn going through a scheme shift right now this year on both sides of the football and I asked this to Justin Ferguson yesterday and we'll ask Zach Blackerby about this later on in the show when he joins us at 2 30 is Auburn ready for a scheme fit on both sides of the football because there have been multiple times throughout the Auburn history in the last 20 years where we have seen Auburn go through a scheme change on both sides of the ball or really You could look at it on one side of the ball and it was enough to hurt the Auburn team for the whole season. I go back to when Tony Franklin first came to Auburn back in like 08. What happened to Auburn in 2008? It was the end of Tommy Tuberville goes five and seven and the offense didn't look that great. And that was an offense shifting from what we looked like in the 2000s, which was under center, which was smash mouth, which was pro style looks. And it was shifting towards the spread. Well, over time, Auburn got guys in and the spread ended up being the identity of the football program for the next 10, 15 years or so, which is where we're at now. But you saw them for a year try and get away from that. And the final year under Gene Chizik, things go disastrous, three and nine. Auburn has a bad history with scheme changes over the last 15 years. Is Auburn ready for it this time? Well, it seems like Auburn has issues specifically more with more pro-style oriented offenses, like you mentioned back in 2012. Auburn only averaged 18.6 points per game, only 156 yards passing per contest. And in case you're wondering, that's not good. That's not good. And for a pro style offense, you know, you, you come to expect you come to expect, I would say, lower numbers statistically from a pro style offense, but not numbers like that. 
those are really, really bad. And as far as Auburn transitioning from more of a spread to more of, I guess, a pro-style offense this 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 season in 2021, we've been told that we're probably going to see Bo Nix a little bit more under center. We're probably going to see a lot of shotgun. I don't think it's going to be, as I said early on in the show whenever I first joined, dramatic accidentally. I don't think it's going to be as dramatic as a shift as we think it's going to be. So I, I think Auburn's ready offensively. I think Auburn's ready to take the next step and kind of change some things as far as the way that we scheme receivers open. I think the way the offensive line has been blocking, I think we can definitely change some stuff with that. But as far as like overall scheme goes, I don't think it's going to change so dramatically that we look on the field and say, wow, this is a completely different offense. This go-round, people welcome the change, right? Folks are so tired of what they got from Gus Malzahn Mm -hmm. and the circus of offensive coordinators that came through the program over the last couple of years, that they're ready. They welcome moving away from what Gus Malzahn was doing because they got tired of it, and look, it didn't work. So I understand the whole, you need to hit the reset button, but I also think it's fair to say, you look at the last couple times Albert's hit the reset button, It didn't go so well right off the bat, and you have to build for it. And so I'm wondering if Auburn has the personnel on the offensive side of the ball for this to work out. Now, I don't think it's as dramatic of a change as we've seen the last couple of times. I think it's more of a gradual shift, and this coaching staff has talked about putting guys in positions where they will succeed, not necessarily fitting them to a philosophy, but more fitting their philosophy to the personnel that they have. So I think that's encouraging. And I do believe it's a different situation. So I would say on the offensive side of the ball, since we're looking at that first, and then we'll talk about defense in a second, I would say that the offensive side of the ball is a lot more prepared for a scheme shift now because I don't think it's as dramatic as what we saw back in 2012, the last time where we saw a whole scale reset button before the ultimate coaching change at the top with Gus Malzahn coming in in 2013. In 2012... They went back in time like 10 years. They went back to the I-form. When they had been running the spread under Malzahn, they were not prepared for that. So I would agree with you that they are more prepared this time because you're still going to see shotgun. You're still going to see spread tendencies. You're just also going to see pro-style. You're going to see pro-style imprints. You're going to see pro-style fingerprints on a spread look. It's going to be a nice mix and balance It's going to look a lot more like it does at the next level in the NFL, which I guess you could say that's a pro-style offense. But but if you look at what's happened in the NFL, the college game has infiltrated it. Look at what Lamar Jackson's doing in Baltimore. Tyrod Taylor did it for a little bit before he ended up losing his starting job. Kyler Murray out in Arizona. You see Kingsbury come from from uh, Texas Tech. I don't know why I drew a blank there. You see Kingsbury come from Texas Tech and things are working out in Arizona at least for the most part, at least better than maybe some people would have thought that it would have. The offense is definitely improving, for sure. And and, and so the college game has infiltrated the NFL game, and it has put its mark on the NFL. And so that's what I think you see here at Auburn. You see a pro-style offense that has spread fingerprints, spread tendencies, has spread spread intricacies, has this illusion of a spread offense still with – it's a perfect mix, a perfect balance between the two. And so for me, I think Auburn's a little bit more prepared for that because it's not a whole it's not a whole scale whole scale change right. from spread to ground and pound 
15 years ago. Right, and you talked about personnel change and being able to, from a personnel standpoint, being able to handle a scheme change. And I think we saw that back in 2011, 2010, when Malzahn was the coordinator, they were running spread. In 2012, pro-style offense that one year, guys didn't have enough time to shift and adjust to this pro-style offense. It went really poorly. Then in 2013, Malzahn comes back with some guys that were still personnel-wise fit to run the fit to run the spread and in 2013 you saw that offense explode let's take a look here 39 and a half points per game compared to the 18 a year before they were averaging over 328 rushing yards per contest I mean it just took off it just took off so as far as personnel goes for the 2021 season I think you're right it's going to be a gradual shift and whenever you say well what does that look like I think it's going to be things like throwing to the tight end a little bit more kind of getting them involved, kind of kind of getting Bo Nix under center a little bit more every now and then, simplifying this offense down so that Bo Nix isn't rolling out to his right and throwing the ball away every single time because he doesn't know what he doesn't know where to go with the ball. I think that it's going to be really, really good for Auburn whenever you talk about gradually and not immediately because, we've again, we've seen in the past whenever Auburn goes snap and goes into a different scheme ch- or, or into a scheme change, they've gone really poorly. So if Auburn can slowly adjust this season and then it really take over over the next couple of years, I think it's going to be really good. And you talk about personnel right now. Auburn has personnel that runs the spread. Moving forward, it looks like Harston is recruiting guys that will play in a more pro-style offense. Look at Hold- er, Holden Jariner. Look at TJ Finley. Exactly. They're, they're, they're pocket-passing guys, like, you, like you've mentioned. Jariner's more of like a Phillip Rivers gunslinger mentality, kind of sit back there in the, there in the pocket and dot you up kind of guy. The, the scheme is going to shift, but you can't do it immediately because, again, your personnel doesn't fit it. So I think the fact that this coaching staff has said, well, hold on now, we're going to do it slowly. We're going to get first, let, let, let's get these players in a position that they're comfortable in. And as we slowly take over the roster and we recruit the guys that we want personnel wise, then we'll shift more and more into our scheme. I think that's a really great way to do it. We'll see if it actually happens that way. We'll see if it actually pans out that way, because sometimes you see coaches rush that and it go poorly and we've seen that at Auburn over the last 15 years I feel like so it's important to bring that up let's talk about the defensive side of the ball then defense is going through a massive switch you're looking at and I think they needed it desperately I've been critical over the last year and a half or so of Kevin Steele and his 4-2-5 defense that had a reluctance and it's not it's not the player's fault I think it was the coaching staff's fault I've been critical to say that the 4-2-5 they were reluctant to get out of it Auburn was in the nickel like every play and if you want to go to why Auburn gave up over 250 rushing yards in three different games last year and they weren't all against good teams guys two of those was Tennessee and Ole Miss the third one was over 300 yards against Texas A&M if you want to go to why Auburn did that why Auburn had such a problem with that well it's the fact that they were not equipped with the numbers in the box to handle the modern day offense and the evolution of the tight end and having an extra an extra blocker in the tackle box Auburn just simply didn't match up personnel when they were on the field and Auburn didn't adjust on the defensive side of the ball and they got ran all over and when you had Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson guys that could eat up blocks guys that could eat up portions of the defensive line and get penetration and were just human wrecking balls it was fine but that's not the case with this defensive line so it's partially the scheme what they were dealing with the last year but it was also the fact that they didn't have Derek Brown. They didn't have Marlon Davidson. They didn't have an elite defensive line like they had in previous years. Now they have to adjust. And I would say that the defense is much more equipped for this switch 
maybe even that the offense is at, the, at this time. You could see you're going to see growing pains on the offensive side of the ball. I think it's ready, set, go from day one for the Auburn defense. And it's because of all the depth that they have. As far as you know, I've talked a little bit on the show about how in 2020 I felt either due to injuries or just the players that we had out there, Auburn's defensive line was a little undersized at times, and it looked like they were just getting manhandled up front whenever teams wanted to run the ball, throw the ball deep. They had quarterbacks had time. Quarterbacks could do anything that they wanted against Auburn defensively because you saw it in the Georgia game. Whenever Auburn would get home, they still wouldn't get home. They would get close to, to sacking Stetson Bennett, but they wouldn't quite get there. And I think with this new scheme change, it's going to benefit Auburn because something else that I've been really frustrated with is Auburn defensive backs don't play the ball. It's not the way that Kevin Steele taught these guys to do it. It's really, really frustrating to watch guys like Noah Igbenogany and Carlton Davis, who have really panned out in the NFL, but in their Auburn careers, it, I just sit back there and looking like, man, you throw it deep on these guys, and it's going to be a pass interference call or it's going to be a really big game it's one or the other you saw in that Tennessee game in 2018 how frustrating to watch uh, that that game was to watch it was the same thing over and over and over again it's just like I want my defensive backs to play the ball and whenever you have depth like you do in the secondary that Auburn has this season I think they're going to be able to improve and if you can get them in a different scheme where, where where they can line up and they can actually play the receiver I think that's going to benefit Auburn tremendously. You mentioned 250 rushing yards per game in over three contests last season. They also gave up 242 yards passing per game last season. That's not something norm that you normally see from an Auburn defense, especially from Kevin Steele early on. That is not normal whatsoever. Part of it was injuries. You can say, oh, well, COVID, it was a weird year, whatever. You That, that just doesn't happen. That just does not happen. So moving along on the defensive side of the ball, Auburn's bringing in transfers to make this defensive line short up. They're bringing in really big guys, guys like Tony Fair. Like 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 I mentioned earlier, like you mentioned earlier, I'm sorry. Whenever you have guys like Marlon Davidson and Derek Brown on your defensive line, after you lose them, you're going to be accustomed to seeing really, really big guys on your defensive line just eat up blocks. And I think that's one of the reasons why I keep saying, well, Auburn was undersized in 2020. No, every, they're, they're probably about average. It's just we were so used to seeing some top-level talent at that position that, that, we, that we just grew accustomed to it. But Auburn's bringing in transfers. They're getting depth in the secondary. And this defense, like you said, I think it's plug-and-play for the defense. Offensively, there's going to be a lot of issues. But defensively, I think from day one with Derek Mason, these guys will be able, be able to adjust. And we've already seen it. Harson talking about guys like Owen Papo, just immediate popped into the scheme. It all comes down to the defensive line for me. And, and I think the defense is much more equipped for this switch because it's going to allow players like the linebackers to do what they do well. Owen Papo and Jacoby McLean should thrive in this system if you can get the defensive line to do what they're supposed to do. The defensive line now in this 3-4 scheme, it's not about penetration. It's about holding the point of attack. Mm -hmm. You're now responsible for two gaps. Each lineman now responsible for two gaps. Don't let the offensive line get a push. Leave it at the point of attack and hold it down and allow the linebackers behind you to come and fill in the gaps and make the tackles. Kobe McLean had over 100 tackles last year, guys. He played in 11 games. He had over 100 tackles. Some guys can play a 15-game season and not get 100 tackles. He's well-equipped to be able to thrive in this system if they can get the defensive line playing where they need to be to eat up those blocks in the interior and and make things as ugly as possible it remains to be seen if this defensive line can make that jump but I believe in the coaching staff and who they've got and Derek Mason and now Nick Eason Nick Eason you go back to when they put out the press release that they announced Nick Eason was the new defensive line coach at Auburn 
they specifically mentioned in the press release that he helped Tennessee, the Tennessee Titans, when he first became their defensive line coach, helped them go from a transition of a 4-3 defense to a 3-4 defense. He's been in this situation before. He knows what he's doing, and it worked out really well in Nashville at Tennessee. So he's experienced. He knows what he's doing. He's working with some talent. They just need to get them to play at that optimal level. Then on the other side, you've got to get a pass rush to help out these defensive backs. And I I I think at the end of the day, that's just about those guys getting home off the edge. You look at Derek Hall. Can he... Can he live up to the Derek name on the Auburn defensive line? Right? right, and I know he's not technically a defensive lineman anymore. I know he's he's now a, he's now a linebacker, but I, I I do think that Auburn you could see with those guys being able to come off the edge, maybe their job being simplified a little bit more. It's going to benefit them now to be able to play as a linebacker rather than a four three defensive end as a pass rusher. I agree. I agree. And again, with the with these defensive linemen that Auburn's bringing in, guys like Tony Fair, they're going to be able to eat up blocks up front. And so if you can l- let these really talented linebackers get home, this defense could be really, really good. It's something that helped Bo Nix progress in year one as a freshman, kind of held him back in year two. The The defense wasn't able to stay on the field or rather keep keep the uh, keep keep themselves off the field. If you can get a good defense for Bo Nix in year three and you can let Bo Nix simplify himself in this offense, Auburn could be pretty good. Could be pretty good on both sides of the football. I think they're ready for the scheme change. And I, and I don't want to say that Auburn's offense is going to have a ton of issues. And, and and I think that they're more prepared for this shift this year than they were in 2012 and before that because I don't think it's as dramatic. But there will be growing pains. Auburn, it's all about Auburn finding its identity on the offensive side of the football within the first four weeks of the season and that Penn State game is a chance for them to make a statement and it could be a breakthrough game you look back in 2010 and I make this point with Zach Blackerby in our recorded conversation coming up at 2 30 that was a breakout game for Cam Newton against Clemson back in 2010 game three of the season horrible first half against Clemson what happened second half comeback double digit comeback Auburn breaks through and then it translates into week four against South Carolina the very next week and you continue to see this offense improve it's about developing an identity and Penn State will be a breaking point for Auburn football early on for them to develop that identity because I would rather Auburn figure it out in Happy Valley even if it results in a loss and be ready going into Baton Rouge I would rather Auburn lose in Happy Valley and win in Death Valley switch the roles make Happy Valley Death Valley and Death Valley Happy Valley for Auburn football next season look at what's going on in the SEC tournament for baseball today Florida earlier we said this on yesterday's show neener neener we were right (laughs) Florida pulled the upset on Mississippi State and it wasn't just an upset it was a run rule 13 to 1 Florida punches out Mississippi State and throws them into the double elimination bracket they're in an elimination game tomorrow whereas Florida in a pretty good spot now they continue and move on and they're in the winner's bracket portion of the SEC tournament and currently right now Alabama playing some good baseball bottom of the sixth inning SEC network the 10 seat currently on top of the two seat Tennessee in trouble in danger of falling into the losers bracket Alabama up two to zero at the bottom of the sixth inning you win this game no doubts about it I think this Alabama team's going to be playing in the NCAA tournament this is this is a huge game for the Crimson Tide it's something that we did not give them credit on to be able to win this ball game we'll see if they can close it out a pitcher's battle there between Alabama and Tennessee once again 2-0 Crimson Tide on top of the Volunteers bottom six SEC Network we're going to take a quick break here and when we come back we're going to continue what we started yesterday predicting the first loss for every SEC team in 2021.
you are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. 502. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl with you in the studio. Jacob Hillman behind the controls. Still got an hour left of On the Line. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Hey, you can watch the show as well on Radio Alabama Sports' Facebook page. It's the place to be. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Got some great content going up there today. We're keeping you up to date with all the things going on in Auburn Athletics and beyond Alabama Athletics. we got a great article going up talking about tracking Auburn through the transfer portal. Some thoughts on a lot of the players that have already committed to Auburn and where Auburn might go after this little bit of a break here as we enter into the summer period. They say team building still continuing into the summer. Where might Auburn go? We've got some thoughts on that going up on RadioAlabamaSports.net as well as on all of our social pages. Got a lot of great graphics going up, so make sure you keep up with all of our content. We're always keeping you covered here on On the Line. Something that I want to take the show in a different direction. Now, we've talked a lot of football today. Let's talk a little bit of basketball. I'm still clinging to basketball season despite the fact that it's uh, it's about two months over now. It's about two months into the books least a month and a half now but Auburn basketball Bruce Pearl said that he's expecting some of Auburn's alums some NBA players to be returning to campus during the summer to be around here which has got to be a great thing for Auburn to have these guys come back and then also what players on the team can benefit now from these guys coming back expecting Isaac Okoro Jared Harper Tumo Kiki all back on campus just being able to come back share some experiences chill hang out enjoy Auburn can't imagine many places that I'd want to be too. I love this place. And I tell my wife this all the time. This is a place where like I can envision myself being for my entire life. You know, and I, and I grew up with I grew up with high school. I went to high school here in, in Auburn. I went to, I graduated from Auburn High School. And, you know, half the class felt like it wanted to get out of town and the other half felt like it wanted to stay. And, and, and you understand both sides, but I was definitely a part of a part of the things where I'm like, why do you guys want to leave here man it's great and now these guys coming back it's the people that come here and the people that that sink their roots into it especially the people that go to the university you become a part of this community and you always want to come back even if you are forced to leave yeah i agree it's definitely a warm atmosphere and i really hope that auburn fans give harper okiki and okoro when they do come back over this the course of this summer i hope they do give them a warm welcome as well this is an incredible college town i have no no idea why you would ever want to to leave i there's no reason to hate this place it's beautiful <laughs> it, the the sports are are fantastic this year you know look at it's, Auburn it's not been players. great they but, come back they get their degrees right even when they leave early to go on to the nfl it's always a part of you of course you're happy that these guys are on in the nba that they're doing what they love and they're making some real money and they are carrying that auburn legacy and that auburn brand into the professional ranks now and that's great because now they bring that back with them to auburn when they come back and visit and they have experiences to be able to share with these players it, 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 for, for the longest time, it's just been Charles Barkley and Marquise Daniels. Now you have these guys, a newer era, uh, a newer era, a newer, a newer group 
a younger group of Auburn players or former Auburn players that can now come back to campus and share with these players that are a part of the program. And as I mentioned, Isaac Okoro, Chuma Kiki, and Jared Harper expect to come back during the summer. I think that's awesome. And so let's get into this a little bit, talk about what this could mean for Auburn basketball during the summer as they look to improve and revamp and rebuild off of a disappointing year this past season that's just now gone into the books. They're building now for the 2001-2022 year and to possibly make a run in another SEC championship and go deep in the NCAA tournament. We talk about the talent on this roster. So let's talk about special traits that each of these players have to pass on to players on this team right now and what players do you think they have the most to gain from. So, for example, State Jared Harper, for instance. What special traits does Jared Harper have to pass on and who has the most currently on this Auburn roster has the most to gain from Jared Harper's special traits well I think when you look at Harper both in college and both in the G League something that he's always carried with him is confidence from his freshman season to his junior season Harper whenever he wanted to take a shot he was going to take that shot didn't matter where it was didn't matter if it was ill-advised or not he was going to take it and when he made it he was rocking. He was rocking. They so many different times I would see whenever teams would go to take a timeout after Harper was cooking, you'd see him and he'd be saying, they can't guard me. They can't guard me. The confidence that came off of Harper as a, as a, as a college player translated so well to the G League. I mean, he's one of the he's one of the best scorers in the G League. I think he I think he was Could one of the best point guard in the G League. Like he he was first team all, all G League. So as far as tr- uh, Harper's best trait, I would say that it's confidence. And the guy that can benefit the most from that, I think is Wendell Green. A lot of people are comparing him to Jared Harper saying he's got the he's got the deep ball, he can drive, he's fast, he sees the floor well. This is a guy that could pan out in, into a Jared Harper style player. And you see confidence in Wendell Green already. Whenever you go and watch those highlights uh, of him at Eastern Kentucky, he was able to light it up from deep. Whenever he wanted to take a shot, he was going to take a shot. He was a ball-dominant point guard. Moving forward, though, in the SEC, you got to be able to continue to have that confidence, continue to build it up. Harper's transition from college to the G League had to continue just having confidence in, in, in his game and knowing what he was capable of and going out there and executing even at that size. Same thing for Wendell Green transitioning from Eastern Kentucky to a much higher level of competition, in my opinion, in the Southeastern Conference. Got to be able to keep that confidence going. Know your shot, know your role, but don't be afraid to take one whenever you feel like it and be a leader on this team. It's something that Auburn Desperate needed last season they didn't necessarily get it because Sharif Cooper was out for half the year they needed a leader and I think Wendell Green can develop into one of those guys kind of going hand in hand with that assessment of Jared Harper something that I was always impressed with was his balance his ability to understand the flow of a ball game and his mentality that he that he approached the game with he didn't force things now early in his career when he was still developing as a shooter when he was still developing as a player you there were some growing pains with that and at times it did look like he was forcing things early in his career his first two seasons but then he gets into the back half of his career when he's getting into really the second half of his sophomore year and then all the way into his junior year through that final four run he understood the situation he understood when he needed to take over a ball game from a scoring perspective or when he needed to take over the ball game from a passing perspective he understood the balance of being a scoring and distributing point guard a passer scorer if you will I 100% agree with you. Wendell Green Jr., the guy that everybody's comparing to to this new Jared Harper. Some people have said the same things that they've said about 
Jared Harper worth the price of admission. That's how Bruce Pearl described Jared Harper. You hear people describing Wendell Green Jr. that way. Very similar basketball players. He has a lot to learn and probably the most to gain if he can, you know, kind of get under Jared Harper this summer and try and learn some things from him. That would be huge because that they're, they're going to be doing very similar things as basketball players. And, that, and that's probably what I'm excited most about Wendell Green Jr. Wendell Green Jr. may be the player that I'm most excited about of all of the transfers coming in, including Walker Kessler. Wendell Green Jr., Auburn needs this type of point guard. Auburn's at its best when they have this type of point guard. And so I'm absolutely thrilled to see Wendell Green Jr. coming to Auburn's program. Let's let's switch this to some of the bigger guys coming in, some guys that are actually playing in the NBA at the moment and are attaining bigger roles on their various NBA teams through the end of the season. Isaac Okoro and Chuma Akiki played major minutes and major roles for the Orlando Magic and the Cleveland Cavaliers, respectively. Let's talk about Isaac Okoro here and what he brings as a small forward coming back. Isaac Okoro, for me, his effortless ability to get to the rim and use his body to score inside the arc. Of course, he's still developing as a shooter at the next level, which I believe he's a better shooter now in the NBA than he was when he was in college. And Alan Flanagan, and I said this at times throughout this past season, Alan Flanagan in his sophomore season, if you compare sophomore Alan Flanagan to freshman Isaac Okoro, sophomore Alan Flanagan is the better all-around offensive player compared to Isaac Okoro as a freshman because Alan Flanagan can shoot a three. Alan Flanagan, still just a little bit worse from an athleticism standpoint and being able to score inside the arc and use his body at getting to the rim. I still think he can develop there. He has a ton to gain because they're so similar players. Great defenders. They started out both as Alan Flanagan's freshman year, couldn't shoot the three-point shot, couldn't hit the side of a barn with a basketball, all right? The guy could not shoot his freshman year. Last year, he learned the three-point shot and he developed on his inside game and being able to get to the rim. I want to see that part of his game continue to grow as Isaac Okoro comes back. Maybe he can learn a thing or two from Isaac. I agree. I think those are all really good points. And if you listen to after the game on ESPN 106.7, me and Zach Blackerby uh, would do a show recapping Auburn's games every, every Saturday and Wednesday, I believe it was. And if you listen to me talk about Alan Flanagan, you know I was very critical of him being a leader for this team, and it's something that frustrated me. Is he would go out there and he wouldn't. He, whenever I watched him play, both offensively and defensively, I didn't see him a lot of a, a lot of team team. He wasn't being a team player. There wasn't a lot of chemistry between him and the other uh, the, the the other players on the floor. I felt like, and so as far as traits that Okoro could give to Flanagan, I feel like knowing your role in in playing team defense for Flanagan, I think it's going to be so important. There was there were so many different times where you would look in the corner and Alan Flanagan would not be playing zone defense. He would be looking in the complete opposite direction of his man and he would leave somebody wide open. It was the most frustrating thing. He would just give up on defense and whenever he got the ball in his hands on offense, he would go down the floor and he would hold the ball or he would shoot it. I think I think Flanagan has the the ability to develop into one of these the this he he has the ability to to develop into a leader on this team as well as Wendell Green does but he has to be able to know his role both on offense and on defense. I think he made a really good point. He's got to be able to slash to the rim a little bit better. Not obviously as athletic as Okoro was at, at doing things like that, but he's also got the ability to shoot the three. And if Flanagan can kind of tone down what Harper was doing early on in his in his uh, career at Auburn, which was 
running down the floor and jacking up a three, if he can kind of tone that down and kind of learn his role in this offense and kind of lead everybody as one of the one of the veteran players on this team, I think that's going to benefit him, benefit him a lot. Something that was said about Okoro a lot during his freshman season, he, he's a freshman, but, but he plays like a senior. And I need Alan Flanagan to play like a senior as a junior. He's entering year three in this program. He's got a lot of things that he can still improve on, even though he had a really, he had a breakout sophomore season. But being a team player, I think, is the most important thing for Alan Flanagan to learn. And just being a team player on defense, because offensively, I have confidence. I have faith in Alan Flanagan. Defensively, there were so many different times last season where I, I personally was frustrated. Now, the numbers may not reflect that, and I can I can understand that. But I think he's one of Auburn's best defenders, but what, guys do have the propensity to check in and out of ballgames. When I watched him play, I, I just want to see more. I want him to see be, him, him be more involved with the team. That's sure. that's that's all that's and and outside of that like he's not a bad player. I'm not saying he's a terrible player. He's really really good offensively. At times he would lock in defensively, but I need him to he, him to develop some chemistry with this squad. And I think Isaac Okoro could could teach him a th- thing or two about that because again, dude was playing as a freshman, but he looked like a senior. Isaac Okoro as well. I I, I think if Alan Flanagan maybe models his game a little bit more to look like Isaac Okoro improves on the defensive side of the ball and can effortlessly dominate on the inside, if that occurs, I think you see Alan Flanagan get drafted next year. That's what got Isaac Okoro drafted. The NBA didn't care that Isaac Okoro could shoot a three. Now, I'm sure that pushed him down in the lottery a little bit more because if Isaac Okoro could do what Anthony Edwards did in terms of shooting from beyond the arc, well, Isaac Okoro is now into the top five, top three of the NBA draft. So that hurt him a little bit in terms of where he got drafted, but he still got drafted inside the top 10, right? And so for Flanagan, it's a plus that he's got the three-point shot. Now he has to show NBA scouts that he can defend NBA-level scores just like Isaac Okoro can because every night Isaac Okoro, he's guarding the best player on the other team. He's guarded LeBron James. He's yep. guarded Kevin Durant. He has guarded the best players on opposing teams throughout the whole year. And that's that's a tall task for a rookie in the NBA. And they've given him that responsibility because he's the best defender on the Cleveland Cavaliers as a rookie already. You know he played the most minutes out of any NBA rookie this season? That's incredible. I did not know that. He 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 was a he was a vital part of that Cleveland Cavaliers team. He was a vital part of Auburn as a freshman. And if if Flanagan can develop some Deep, more defensive ability. Flanagan's got all the talent in the world. I think he's just got to group with this team just a little bit more, develop some more chemistry. And I agree with you. If he plays well like he did last season, if he plays well this season, I think he's definitely going to get drafted. The last player here to talk about, Chuma Okiki coming back. Chuma Okiki, this is interesting because I don't see any Auburn players on the team right now that are like, well, that's Chuma Okiki. Window Green Jr. looks like Jared Harper in terms of their players, in terms of their play style in terms of their archetype as a basketball player. Alan Flanagan, Isaac Okoro, same role on this basketball team. I don't see someone with the Chumo Okiki role, but the best person that I can compare to on this team that could maybe learn a thing or two, Jalen Williams. Jalen Williams has shown the ability to shoot a three, has shown the ability to have a jump shot, but it's not a major factor in his game. I think he's got the killer mentality inside. We've seen him lead this Auburn team at several points last year and honestly be the most productive offensive player on the score sheet for Auburn last year. Even when Sharif Cooper took some nights off, he was able to lead Auburn in scoring. Jalen Williams will not be a starter this year, but if he can stretch the floor a little bit better, take a page out of Tumo Okiki because he's popping threes in the league right now, if you can 
add that to your game, you become a more robust offensive weapon for Auburn and maybe someone a little bit more dangerous coming off the bench where you can keep a flurry of threes dropping on opponents and maybe be a spark plug because he's got the high motor, he's got the ability to dribble, he's got the ability to score. I mm-hmm. think he's already got the killer mentality, which is what we were trying to see Tumo Akiki develop going into year two when he was at Auburn going into his sophomore season. I think he's already got the killer mentality. We saw that last year. I want to see the jump shot now. If he's got the jump shot in his game on a more consistent basis, he could end up being the spark plug off the bench for Auburn because he's already got the motor, he's already got the mentality. Now let's add the jump shot. So in order to become... A, a vital part of this Auburn team this year for Jalen Williams like you mentioned he's not going to be starting this season so he's going to be able to have to do something in order to stand out uh, for the Tigers and this is what I wrote down as far as Okiki there's not a lot of players on this roster that are comparable to what Okiki did for Auburn and what he does in the NBA now but both for Jalen Williams and potentially not saying it's going to happen honestly at this point I don't, I don't know if it will if JT Thor comes back I think this is comparable for him as well but expanding your skill set for both of these guys, both JT Thor and Jalen Williams, like you said, he's got the ability to dribble. He's got the ability to shoot a three. He's got that killer mentality. He's shown inconsistently the ability to do different things. But if he can expand his skill set, become more of a comfortable ball handler, and do those things consistently, he's going to be a vital part of this Auburn team coming off the bench. I think if you can continue to to do the things that you do well, Jalen, but expand them just a little bit more, just get more comfortable, just get more comfortable. That's all I'm asking. And as far as JT Thor is concerned, if he comes back, look, we saw him shoot the three poorly early on in the season. But as time developed and as time went on, we saw against against Kentucky, JT Thor has the ability to shoot the three from anywhere. He can score in a lot of different ways, and he's six foot ten. He can play defense. If you can figure out how to play defense consistently and guard the rim, something that Auburn was not good at doing last year. If you can figure out how to guard the rim at six foot ten and score offensively, just become more comfortable in this system and expand your skill set. You'll be an incredibly talented NBA player. I think JT Thor, if he does come back for another year, is going to benefit tremendously from it. I believe yes. Tennessee just walked off Alabama in the SEC tournament. Bang, bang, play over at first. You're looking for that double play. They hit a ground ball up the middle, high hopper. They got the man at second. It was bases loaded with one out. Alabama got the lead runner over at second. They threw over to first, and they have him safe. But over at second, while Tennessee's celebrating right now, and I did see this during the live play, they slid into second and took out the shortstop who was coming across the bag this could be an interference situation it looks like they could be going to video review here so we're going to take a quick break we'll see how they sort all that out and we'll keep talking here on on the line predicting the first loss for every sec team coming up we take a look at auburn we'll see if tennessee walked off alabama as well the sec with some controversial things to deal with here uh, we'll, we'll keep you up to date what's going on in hoover Thirty minutes left in the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. All on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's FoxSports983.com. Continuing our SEC series on make or break factors for each of the SEC teams going into 2021. Today, we will be examining Kentucky 
tomorrow we will be taking a look at Mississippi State. So into the dog days of the week, we are taking a look at some of the uh, the middle of the pack teams in the league that maybe you're looking to surprise. Kentucky and Mississippi State, I feel like, are in similar tiers, similar situations. And today we're taking a look at Kentucky going into 2021. Some folks out there really like this Kentucky team. I feel like I've seen Cole Kublik share some things at times saying that this Kentucky team could shock the SEC East this upcoming football season. Lance, what's a make or break factor for the Wildcats? Well, I think looking at it from an outsider's perspective, just looking at the entire program, like we were talking about Vanderbilt on Monday, this team doesn't necessarily have an identity, especially on the offensive side of the football, and a lot of that stems from quarterback play. They've been able to run the ball consistently, but the guys that have been doing it are not necessarily who you would want in that in that position Lynn Bowden obviously a couple years ago whenever quarterbacks got injured he was able to to run some wildcat effectively but that's you that's not traditional you don't want you don't want that to be your entire season that's a last resort in my opinion this last season five and six they were able to run the ball pretty efficiently but that defense was not playing as well as it had been in years prior 21.8 points per game 25.9 points per game that offense was 108th in the country. You got to be able to get some better quarterback play in order for you to survive, especially in the SEC, who in the early 2010s was very much so defense oriented, and it has quickly shifted to a passing league. And you got to be able to keep up. You got to be able to score points. And if you can't find an identity, you can't find a way to say, okay, this is what we do on offense. This is how we're going to execute. This is what this offense looks like consistently you're not going to be able to survive and in the SEC least as some people like to call it you know you're 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 one of those bottom feeder programs consistently over the past uh decade or so you've been rising but now you're starting to slip again because you're losing your identity find that identity again play better on defense find a quarterback get this offense going because what i think it wants to be is a ground and pound running oriented offense with a quarterback that can that can manage the game you got to be able to find a game manager first though I agree with you. I'm going to go more in depth on the offensive side of the ball, more so than just identity, but I think identity is important. I'm going to say, can the quarterback position evolve into a position that now can throw the ball consistently? Joey Gatewood embroiled in a quarterback battle with Penn State transfer, Will Levis, amongst some other names out there. But the thing is, under Terry Wilson, Kentucky could not throw the football. This Kentucky team has not been able, under Stoops, to throw the football with some of the top half teams in this league and it simplifies things for squads like Georgia for squads like Auburn for the better teams that have more talent than they do Kentucky doesn't recruit as well as 75 percent of the SEC they're they're in that portion in the bottom bracket of the SEC in recruiting so they've made up for it just like Iowa State has in playing fundamental football and being a tough team a very well coached team I'll give them credit where it's due, but because of their lack of talent, if you don't have some sort of balance on that offensive side of the ball, it makes it really easy for teams that are more talented than you to focus in on what you do well and shut it down. And that's been stacking the box against Kentucky and stopping them on the ground. Auburn and Kentucky were in a close game last year in the season opener. Why? Because Kentucky was running all over Auburn in that first half. Guess what happened in the second half? Auburn shut it down. And Kentucky stopped scoring, and Auburn was able to get out in front and win by two touchdowns. Georgia, it's never a concern. Even when Kentucky has been in the mix with one or two losses when they've gone to play Georgia, and they've had a chance to really get in the mix in the SEC East, Georgia has shut them down 
because all they could do was run the football. And I look back to two, three years ago, that was the situation when Terry Wilson was going there. They need guys that could throw the football. I don't believe there's a guy like that in that room right now. I don't believe Joey Gatewood can get it done. We haven't seen it yet. We didn't see him from him at Auburn. We didn't see it from him in his little bit at Kentucky last year. I don't believe he's got it. There's a big reason why he's not at Auburn anymore. I don't believe he's got it. Will Levis hasn't been there long enough. He's learning a new system. He obviously got jettisoned out of Penn State to go to Kentucky. I think he, I think he could be fine. Maybe he could develop into it, but I don't know if he's going to have it right away. And then he also doesn't have the running ability that maybe Joey Gatewood or some of the other quarterbacks in this room have. So maybe you give up Will Levis' passing ability just to continue to do what you're doing to get to 6-6, six 7-5 six, every year because you've had a rushing quarterback. I don't think that this team has evolved from a passing standpoint to get to the point where they need to to consistently challenge to be the third best team of the SEC East which if they, if they can't get that they're not going to beat Missouri they're not going to beat some of these other squads on their schedule when we take a look at it so for me it, it is the quarterback position and can it evolve to add more balance to this offense and I don't think they've got it right and look, the, I think the numbers reflect that 121 passing yards per game last season and 196 on the ground but they only averaged 5.8 yards per pass attempt last season. Horrible. And and some, it, it, I think you made a really really good point. It's like, well, you can you can focus in on one thing and shut it down, and you can have a quarterback that that you need to have a quarterback though that can throw the ball. You can't have somebody behind center that's a wide receiver. You can't have somebody that behind center that can only run the football. If you want to be a run-oriented team, go ahead, do that. Let that be your offensive identity, but have somebody under center that is capable of doing more than just one thing, and that will be able to expand your your offense, and it'll, it'll give you better chances, like you mentioned, against better teams like Georgia and Auburn and even teams like Florida. If you can, if you can be more versatile, you'll, you'll be able to compete a lot better at some, against some of these better squads. Looking at this schedule... I'll say this, Missouri is an important game for Kentucky. They open up against Terry Bowden and the ULM Warhawks week one in Lexington. That's a W for Kentucky. They're 1-0, but then they get to host Missouri in Kroger Field. First SEC game of the 2021 season across the entire conference. That's a big one because I believe the winner of this football game is going to be that team trying to compete with Tennessee and Missouri and Kentucky. That, that group of three teams right there, that trio is going to be competing for that third spot at the SEC East this is a game that gives you the leg up on the other team that's really looking to rise this year and that is Missouri they've gone through some defections they've got some guys that have left the program via transfer we talked about that a little bit yesterday with their receiving room specifically they lose their leading receivers due to transfer due to graduation this Missouri team brings back Basilek a quarterback but they've lost some skill position players on the offensive side of the ball Kentucky on the other hand trying to find more of an identity at quarterback but they like where they've got guys at skill position players on the defensive side of the ball and on the offensive line that week two game at home you're fortunate to have them at home but it's not an easy football game set the tone beat Missouri early on because you could look at a 4-0 start for Kentucky if they do that they beat Missouri at home then they play Chattanooga. You beat Chattanooga, you're 3-0. and Then you go to Williams-Brice Stadium at South Carolina week four for your first road game. That's very winnable. South Carolina is in the dumpster right now. 4-0 after you beat South Carolina. Then you got Florida at home, which will be inevitably a loss, I believe. But you can go into that Florida game feasibly 4-0. and If you don't, this is the stretch of three games after South Carolina. Home game against Florida. Home game against LSU and at Georgia. By week at Mississippi State, which will be pretty tough. And then you've got Tennessee at home. Your next five games 
brutal. Your last five games right there, or, or your next five games in conference play, absolutely brutal. You need to get every single one of those wins in the first four weeks of your schedule. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Looking at that South Carolina game, you know, you could you can go back and forth on it, especially that they because they bring back Keon Harris. But outside of that, man, they are struggling right now, and I cannot wait to get some get some uh, make or break factors on them because uh, <laughs> it's it's very similar to Vanderbilt in the fact that it's everything. But we one week is not enough time to figure out your quarterback situation. If you're heading into week two against Missouri, you you I I would not feel confident even if my quarter whoever was under center week one against ULM just absolutely popped off. Something else uh, worthy of noting: Kentucky is 98th in returning production in the entire country, 60% on both offense and defense evenly. They lost a, they lost some guys uh, on the defensive side of the ball to the NFL. They had some players drafted. They had some offensive linemen drafted. Their skill positions, I think I agree with you. They're, they're, they're at where Kentucky wants them to be, but at the same time, I feel like they could also be recruiting just a little bit better. I miss guys like C.J. Conrad. He was so fun to watch. They need to be able to get back to that kind of level of skill position player. Guys like Lynn Bowden. They brought in Wandale Robinson. He's going to be really exciting to Big see. Big time. Big time receiver for them to get. But week one week before you face Missouri, I don't think is enough time. And – I agree with you. That's a very, very pivotal game because if they can come out of that game unscathed, if they can somehow defeat Missouri, then they're looking pretty good for the rest of the season because Mississippi State's winnable, Tennessee's winnable, New Mexico State and Louisville are definitely winnable, and you're looking at a really good shot to finish third in the East. Just got to figure that quarterback situation out against Missouri. Another note about this schedule, it doesn't do them any favors, all right? The home games are against teams that you already expect them to lose to. Florida, LSU, Tennessee, teams that traditionally recruit better than they do. So it doesn't really, it, it doesn't do you any favors on that front. You would have liked to have gotten a Mississippi State or South Carolina at home because when you, when you look at their road games, it makes those games tougher, right? It makes games that you would have liked to have been surefire, it makes them tougher for you. Now all of a sudden you've got to go to a relatively tough environment at South Carolina You've got to go to Georgia, which is, is that, that completely erases that. You've got to go to Mississippi State. You've got to deal with the Cowbells after a bye week, which fortunately you get that extra week to pump that noise in and practice. But that Mississippi State game is a whole lot tougher at Davis Wade than it is in Kroger Field, right? So like a game that you would have felt pretty good about at home, maybe being able to beat a team that maybe is a little bit more talented than you on paper going into the season it's now all of a sudden tougher Louisville's also in that boat you get a Vanderbilt on the road games that you would have liked to have had at home to make them more surefire W's they're all on the road you can't name a surefire W on this schedule with the exception of New Mexico State Chattanooga and ULM you got three games that I feel like you say yeah that's a lock for a win I don't even want to say that Vanderbilt's a lock for a win because I don't know what they're going to look like in first year under Clark Lee maybe those guys come out firing and late in the season you and I were talking about Vanderbilt on Monday they could be fighting for a bowl game late in the year especially if they go 4-0 and in non-conference play all they need is two and that makes that Kentucky game very important at the end of the year yep desperation again, will drive you a long way exactly and if Vanderbilt's been able to beat Tennessee Vanderbilt's been able to beat SEC teams not last year they went over but still Vanderbilt has been able to beat teams like Kentucky and Tennessee so when I say if Vanderbilt were to go 4-0 in non-conference play they just need two SEC wins Kentucky would be one of those teams in arm's reach so it makes that game late in the year all the more important for a Vanderbilt team trying to drive to get winnable games into that W category so that they go so that they can go to a bowl game 
This is a tough schedule for Kentucky. Conference schedule does them absolutely no favors, like you said, absolutely no favors. And again, you have to figure it out early because with Auburn, I feel like you get two games before you go play a subpar Big Ten team, in my opinion. You get two games to tune up that offense. You get one game against ULM, you're you're immediately facing a team that wants to be third and east just as much as you do. You got to be able to figure stuff out early against Missouri because you're not going to have enough time to prepare before that. And they have continuity at the quarterback position, whereas yep. you don't. Yep. They're and, breaking in a new quarterback this year. And as far as returning production goes, Missouri's like 54th nationally. They're bringing back a lot on that offense, even though they still they they lost that thousand yard receiver in Knox. They're still bringing back a lot of talent. And as you mentioned, that quarterback position, only five teams in the SEC return starting quarterback experience. You can't. There, there, there are not a lot of teams in the conference that can say that they, they have a returning quarterback. Yeah. Kentucky, obviously, not one of them. And the quarterbacks that they have to choose from, not the best in the world. Joey Gatewood has not panned out whatsoever. Will Levis, obviously, like you mentioned earlier, had to leave Penn State. And then Bo Allen, who I've heard good things about over the spring, has not been able to show at Kentucky that he's capable of being a starter yet. So it's a lot of uncertainty on the offensive side of the ball. And again, I think it comes back to you got to be able to find an identity to survive this conference slate. You got to be able to say, okay, we want to run the ball, but we have a quarterback that can throw it, but we were going to run the ball down your throat first. And then also, we're going to play sound defense. You got to be able to get back to where you were two years ago. If you can find an identity as a program, Moving forward, you're going to set yourself up to win seven or eight games consistently. Like you mentioned earlier, you think Mississippi State and Kentucky are on very even playing fields. I agree. I think they're both seven, eight win programs consistently year in and year out with a a non-conference schedule that, that is favorable. Alabama, I believe they just took a lead. Yep, in the top of the 11th with one out, Alabama's got a man on second, but they did just take a lead. They're up 3-2 on Tennessee, once again, in the top of the 11th. So Tennessee's going to have one more crack at it, but Alabama has broke the deadlock in extra innings on the other side of this break we wrap up the wednesday edition of on the line going through predicting the first loss for every sec team we continue on lsu up next noah gardner and lance Dahl on the line with you for your wednesday afternoon edition it's the last segment of on the line Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station between On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, Analysis, News, and more. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Before we wrap up the show here, let's take a listen to What's On TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. At 7 on Fox, it's the finale of The Masked Singer with a winner being awarded the Golden Mask Trophy. A pair of game shows are on ABC starting at 7 with Press Your Luck and then at 8 with the $100,000 Pyramid. Some movie selections for tonight, despite attaining superhuman abilities, hosting an alien symbiote doesn't seem optimal. Venom is on FX at 7. On the other hand, riding a dragon seems pretty cool. How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World is on FX Movies at 6.30. And sports there are three nba playoff games on television starting at six with game two between the washington wizards and the philadelphia 76ers two games are on tnt beginning at 6 30 with game two between the atlanta hawks and the new york knicks at nine the memphis grizzlies look to continue to shock the nba as they have a chance to take a 2-0 lead on the top seed in the west in the utah jazz one mlb game is on espn with the los angeles dodgers at the houston astros on at 6 30 i'm noah gardner and that's what's on tv tonight 
Wrapping up the Wednesday show here on On the Line. Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. We got about four minutes before the drive with Bill Cameron. Listen to the drive with Bill Cameron every weekday from four to six. Following On the Line on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Bill and Dan will be taking your calls, diving into all of the latest and hottest stories in Auburn athletics and beyond. Once again, from four to six, the drive with Bill Cameron. They're going to have Jason Caldwell on with them for today's show. So stay tuned for that. Once again, on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Continuing to predict the first loss for every SEC team in 2021. We're just working along trying to get as many teams done as possible. We're on LSU now. I'll make this bold statement right here, right now. LSU will have a loss before they play Auburn in week five. LSU will at least have one loss. I don't know. I don't think they're going to have two, but I think they will have at least have one loss before they play Auburn. You look at the schedule. They're at UCLA to open the season in the Rose Bowl. They'll then host McNeese State and Central Michigan, the fighting Tony Barbies. And then <laughs> they will go to Mississippi State on September 25th before they play Auburn in October to open up that week. So within the first four weeks, the loss is coming to either UCLA or Mississippi State. It's going to happen. And I'm kind of looking at week one here. I picked it last year. I said that LSU would lose to Mississippi State in the season opener last year on the On the Line podcast. It's going to happen in week one. I'm going to say that LSU is going to lose to UCLA, the acronym bowl. I'm going to take LSU to lose to UCLA. My big reasoning here is this, and you've got the production stats, returning production stats on UCLA. Chip Kelly has had UCLA get better every single year. At about 500 last year, they got Dorian Thompson Robinson back at quarterback. Pretty much everybody's coming back, and that's a UCLA team that can flat out score. And my question is, can this LSU team that struggled to score last year still trying to figure out things in their quarterback room, still trying to figure out things in their wide receiver room on the offensive line, lost talent at all of those positions, are they going to be able to score with UCLA in Pasadena? I'm feeling like an upset early on. Just like that UCLA team hung with Texas A&M so many years ago. Yep. A&M may have, may have pulled a great comeback against UCLA in that game. But I do think that the Bruins, they're going to make it very interesting, if not win that game against LSU in week one. Yeah, on the road against a team that has three years of, of quarterback experience in Dorian Thompson-Robinson, old DTR, uh, it, it's going to be really, really tough for, for, for LSU. And just as far as ter- returning production goes, they're second nationally in returning production at 91% overall. You mean UCLA? UCLA is. 95% of their offensive production comes back off of a team that averaged 35.4 points per game. And what I want to add to that is it's taken Chip Kelly now four years to fully flesh out his system at UCLA. Get ready for the product this year. I think think it's going to be very fun. UCLA is a dark horse team for me in the Pac-12. It would not shock me. They pushed teams last year. They were unable to beat Oregon and USC in in two one possession games. If UCLA beats Oregon and USC in those two games last year and they're like one or two loss team coming into this year the national media views them vastly differently coming into this college football season there's a more of a hype train for this UCLA football team I think this year you start to see them get those things done in the Pac-12 I would not be shocked if this UCLA team really makes a push for that Pac-12 divisional title and then try and get into that conference championship game. And the issue that they had last season was defense. They gave up 30.7 points per game. But again, you go and look at returning production, some guys that come back that will have the ability to improve, 88% of that defense comes back. That's eighth nationally. They're going to be able to improve both offensively and defensively. Offensively, they were they were elite, top 20 nationally. Defensively, not, not the greatest in the country, but they'll be able to improve. 
I agree with you. I think this is definitely upset watch for LSU week one. That's it for the Wednesday edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.